Um, so that is something that we can all be so thankful for uh, as mothers who, who would bring their children before the throne of God and lift them up uh, before him. That's such a significant role uh, in the life of children. Um, so thank you for that. Um, Exodus chapter 33. Uh, first of all, again, thank you all for all that you have done. You have made us feel so welcome. And uh, it's it's amazing to be able to settle in with you all and, and get to work for God. You're going to have to forgive me if I ask you your name 15 or 20 times. Because just when I feel like I'm starting to get a handle on it, then I think, have I actually met you before? Or do I just think I've met you before? Uh, so you have to forgive me for that. Um, so over the next few weeks, we're going to be looking uh, in at Israel's journey out of Egypt and uh, uh, Moses, particularly, as he led the people out of Israel. I got to working on this this week, and, and uh, I realized that if I was going to talk about everything that I had, we would be here until 1.30 or 2. So I thought I should probably break it down over a few weeks. Uh, but uh, <laughs> I don't know who said that, but... <laughs> it was the former pastor in the room. <laughs> uh now we're gonna we're gonna the plan is to to talk about that over the next few weeks and uh, I, I told Brian I'm not great at sticking to a plan. I always told my last congregation if if when I was leading worship if the words on the screen were not correct it was not the computer person's fault it was mine because I didn't stick to the plan. Uh, so I'm not great at sticking to to a plan, but God willing that's where we're going. So this week we're going to talk about. Uh, uh, how Moses had a desire to know and conform to the ways of God. Overall, I want to focus on, uh, as Moses was meeting with God, he was interceding on behalf of Israel. He said God was telling him, them, him to move forward with Israel into the land that he had promised him. And he said, if you do not go with us, don't send us, because how will we be distinguished from anyone, anyone else uh, on the face of the earth? So that's overall what we want to talk about, how we as the body of Christ, as individuals and as individuals who compose the body of Christ, how we are distinguished from everyone else on the face of the earth. There should be something, right, that distinguishes us. We shouldn't look like everyone else. We shouldn't, when somebody looks at our life, when somebody works with us every day, they should know that there's something different, right? If they can't tell there's something different about you, that's there's probably something where you need to go to God and get before Him and figure out what am I what am I doing here that nobody knows that I'm actually a follower of you. Uh, so so there should be something that distinguishes us. And I just want to pick apart the next this week and the next few weeks uh, what Moses was doing in these moments. So this week we're going to talk about uh, Moses and his desire to know and to conform to the ways of God. Um. So Exodus chapter 33, we're going to start in verse 7, then we're going to go into uh, chapter 34 just for a few verses. This is this is a lot to read, but uh, nobody's going to be disappointed in us reading the Word of God, right? Amen. We're all thankful for that. Okay, verse 7 in uh, Exodus chapter 33. It says, Now Moses used to take a tent and pitch it outside the camp some distance away, calling it the tent of meeting. Anyone inquiring of the Lord would go to the tent of meeting outside the camp. And whenever Moses went out to the tent, all the people rose and stood at the entrances of their tents, watching Moses until he entered the tent. 
As Moses went into the tent, the pillar of cloud would come down and stay at the entrance while the Lord spoke with Moses. Whenever the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the entrance to the tent, they all stood and worshipped, each at the entrance of their tent. The Lord would speak to Moses face to face as one who speaks to a friend. Then Moses would return to the camp, but his young aide Joshua, son of Nun, would, uh, did not leave the tent. Verse 12, Moses said to the Lord, You have been telling me, lead these people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. You have said, I know you by name, and you have found favor with me. If you are pleased with me, teach me your ways, so that I, might know, I may know you and continue to find favor with you. Remember that this nation is your people. The Lord replied, My presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. Then Moses said to him, If your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. How will anyone know that you are pleased with me and with your people unless you go with us? What else will distinguish me and your people from all other people on the face of the earth? And the Lord said to Moses, I will do the very thing you have asked, because I am pleased with you and I know you by name. Then Moses said, Now show me your glory. And the Lord said, I will cause my goodness to pass in front of you, and I will proclaim my name, the Lord, in your presence. I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. But, he said, you cannot see my face, for no one may see me and live. Then the Lord said, there is a place near me where you may stand on a rock. When my glory passes by, I will put you in the cleft of the rock and cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will remove my hand, and you will see my back, but my face must not be seen. And then uh, chapter 34, starting in verse 1, it says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Chisel out two stone tablets like the first ones, and I will write on them the words that were on the first tablets which you broke. Be ready in the morning, and then come up to Mount Sinai. Present yourself to me there on top of the mountain. No one is to come with you or be seen anywhere on the mountain. Not even the flocks and herds may graze in front of the mountain. So Moses chiseled out two stone tablets like the first ones and went up to Mount Sinai early in the morning as the Lord had commanded him. And he carried the two stone tablets in his hands. Then the Lord came down in a cloud and stood there with him and proclaimed his name, the Lord. And he passed in front of Moses, proclaiming the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion and sin. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sin of the, of the parents to the four, third and fourth generations. Uh, so in all of this, what is happening here is that if you go back to uh, the previous chapters, Moses was up on the mountain with God and God was laying out all of the things, all of the, the law of God, the Ten Commandments, all of those kind of things. He was laying out to Moses how he wanted... Uh, you know, the, the tent of meeting to be constructed. Everything had a precise way that they were going to construct all of these things. So Moses was up there on the mountain with God. Uh, I believe it was 40 days and 40 nights that he was up there and God was speaking to him. And the people were all back in the camp and we get to chapter 32 and we see that they are getting pretty restless because they thought that Moses was taking a little longer than they would have liked to come back. So they started to doubt things and they started to question what was happening and what, what did they do? They couldn't handle it anymore. They couldn't handle waiting on God. So they got all their gold together. They got everything they had together that was valuable. And they went to Aaron and said, I need you to make us something to be our God. Right? So Aaron fashioned this golden calf out of all the things that they had had. And we know that they rebelled against God. To some extent, they were still thinking that they were worshiping God. If you read the text, it alludes to the fact that they still thought they were worshiping God. They had just somehow... 
began to worship God after uh, their own thoughts. They began to come up with their own methods of, of worshiping God, and they reduced God from who he is, the divine creator of all things. They reduced him to something they could see in front of him, an animal of all things. That was their object of, that was to them representing God in that moment. But they, they, so they went on, they were, they were rebelling against God in that moment. Moses comes down from the mountains, he sees uh, all of these things happen, and he throws the, the Ten Commandments down, the tablets that it was written on, and he breaks it. He was obviously very clearly upset about what was happening. And God said that he wasn't going to go with Israel in that moment as they were going to leave and, and uh, move towards the land that he had for them. So the point is that Israel had been delivered from Egypt by God. They were in the place of, of God speaking to their leader. They couldn't wait on him, uh, so they rebelled against him. They started doing their own thing. And uh, Moses comes down and uh, tells them that, that God's not going to go with them. And the people were uh, you know, upset about that. The point in all of this is what I want to look at is, is Moses in the midst of all these things that are going on. Moses was the only hope of the people in that moment. Moses was the one that was interceding for them. Moses was the one who was going before God. He was petitioning God on their behalf. Moses was taking this position. Uh, I mean, if you read, I think it's in chapter 32, but it says, uh, Moses said, if, if you're going to... Uh, you know, cut off your people, all of your people, then blot me out of your book as well. So Moses wasn't leading them. He wasn't leading them just out of the responsibility alone, but he loved the people that he was leading. He had a concern for them. He had some sort of desire to see them know uh, the living God, to be able to walk with them in him and to be able to, to experience the living God in his presence among them. He desired that for the people because he loved them. Not just because God said, I want you to lead these people, but because he had an actual desire to love those people around him. Even in that moment where he came down from the mountain, he was looking on these people who had rebelled uh, against God in those moments. And you can imagine how devastating that would be, that you had seen God deliver them from Egypt in all the ways that he did. He overcame Pharaoh's army. He would lead them by... Uh, you know, the, a, a pillar of fire and cloud and all of that stuff, he would lead them. They could visibly see God do all these wondrous things in their midst, yet they rebelled against him because they couldn't wait on something. You can imagine how devastating that would be to Moses in that moment and how he easily could have just said, yeah, do whatever you want. They rebelled. That was ridiculous. Cut them off. I want nothing to do with them. He could have said that, but instead he had such a concern for them and love for them. He said, if you're going to cut them off, cut me off too. That is such an amazing thing, and I think a picture of the sacrificial love of God. And what I want to look at today is, uh, as the church, we should uh, be able to express that same sacrificial love of God. Sometimes there are people that uh, uh, we encounter, even in the church, who start to slip up, they start to turn, they start to be desensitized to the things of God, right? Sometimes we don't have a whole lot of concern for those people. It's easy for us to say all the things they're doing wrong. It's easy for us to point out all the things that they're doing wrong. I'm not saying that we shouldn't do that sometimes. We need to call things what they are. We need to be able to be open in, in, in expressing when something is sinful, when somebody's turning. It's, it's loving to tell somebody that they're turning. But the problem is sometimes that's not motivated out of a heart of compassion to see somebody 
return to God. It's not motivated out of a heart of compassion to see somebody come to the place where this person is rebelling, they're turning away from God, but I want them to be in the place where they're living in God, where they're experiencing life in Him. I don't want to see them cut off because I have a concern for them, because I love them. I have to admit there was uh, was a time where... uh, where my sister had uh, turned away from God and she was um, doing a lot of things, going her own way, and that lasted a period of time. Uh, And without going into all that, the point for me was after I realized that I didn't really pray for her a whole lot, I didn't really pray for her that much in the midst of that. The problem is, I would guess I'm, I'm not the only one who has somebody like that in their life. I'm not the only one who has somebody who was straying and turning away and doing their own thing and, and was cut off from God and just kind of left them there. And you could pray once in a while for them. But you, when you didn't have an intense desire. You didn't have a a desperation for that person to intercede on their behalf before God. And that's what Moses was doing. He had an intense desire to intercede for those people that he had saw turn away from God. He wasn't content with just seeing them being cut off and, and, and just going their own way. He wasn't content with that. But how do we get to that place? You see, God's glory is revealed through the heart of a person who would have that intense desire to love others the same way that that God has loved us, to express that love. God's glory revealed in His church is what fuels us. And this is what I want to talk about today. I'm, I'm sorry, none of that was really what I wanted to talk about. But I want to look at the life of Moses and his, his leadership and his intercession for the people because there are so many things that we can take from that as a church. So my point today in this is that God's glory revealed among His people is the substance of the church's declaration. God's glory revealed among His people is the substance of our declaration, meaning that the things that we confess The things that we say we believe, the things that we talk about here in this place, as you sit in Sunday school classes, as you sit in youth group, wherever it is, if you're out in your homes doing Bible studies, all the things that you talk about, the substance, the weight of those things is God's glory revealed among us. If God's glory isn't revealed among us, then we're no different than any other social group. And we can't do that as well as the world can. We're never going to be able to do that as well. You understand why, can, why we can't do that as well is because the message of the cross is offensive. You see, sometimes we come to the place where we are trying to do things out of our own power, out of our own skill, out of our own glory, trying to attract people to the message of Christ rather than letting God and His power bring people to the place of conviction, rather than bringing before them an intercession, praying for people to bring them to the place of God's glory revealing their heart. We try to to skillfully organize ways to bring people to that place. And it's never going to work. 
It's never going to work because the message that we are, we're trying to, to organize events to make people like the church, to want the church, it's not going to work because what we're telling them in the end is offensive. It's offensive to human nature. That's just what it is. There's no way around it. You cannot make the gospel message uh, to be something that's not offensive. Because Adam fell. We were born after Adam. We have a sinful nature, right? The message of the cross is offensive to my nature. It's offensive to the things that humans naturally want. That's the nature of the gospel message. It is at odds with the nature of man. In a good way, right? But my point is that we cannot think that we can ever be just like any other group trying to organize ways of making people like the church. It's a matter of God's glory being revealed in us individually and through us and people seeing that light at work within us and that light sheds into their hearts and it reveals their nature and they understand then that there is something different beyond the nature of my heart. There is something that transcends all of that that I should be looking for. So God's glory revealed among His people brings weight or substance to what we are declaring. All of the words that we speak mean nothing without God being revealed in us and through us. And that takes a few things. Now we'll look at these things in Moses quickly. The first thing that he did was said in verse 13, chapter 33, verse 13, he says, If you are pleased with me, teach me your ways so that I may know you and continue to find favor with you. Teach me your ways so that I may know you. Moses' desire was to know God's direction. He wanted to have a clear understanding of how to follow so that he would not find himself out of step with God's character or leading. In the same way, as, we, as his people, we should seek an understanding of God, a true understanding of, of God that comes from the things that he has revealed about him, not just opinion. I talked last week about uh, when Christ said to his disciples, who do you say that I am? And we talked a little bit about how there are so many different things in this world, people's opinions about Christ. And I just happened to come across uh, a, a video in this. There's a Christian kind of publication that, that comes to my email once in a while. And they have this video of different people. They asked a group of Christians different questions and uh, they couldn't see each other and they had to step a certain direction if they agreed or disagreed. And they were all over the place when asked about things concerning Christ and who He is and, and what His mission was. Uh, all of those things. So my point is, even within Christianity, we have uh, polar opposite sometimes opinions about Christ and His work in the church and His work in my life and His desires for my life. We have so many differing views As the church, it is vital that we fix our eyes on God and figure out what He has revealed about Himself through His Word. Because we cannot be subject to everybody's opinion about Christ. We can't do that. We can't function that way because we will never be able to get anywhere, right? If you, I've been around the church long enough, I know this doesn't happen here. I know it's different here. I've been around the church long enough to know that everybody has an opinion. Everybody has a way that they think things should work. And everybody's always right. Again, that doesn't happen here. I know that. Uh, But my point is, too many times we let self in the way, we let our own desires, our own emotions get in the way and obscure our view of who Christ actually is. 
And we have to get back to the place where we are pursuing an understanding of who he is by what he has revealed about himself. And we're going to look at that here. Um, the word of God is our way of understanding. Moses said, teach me, teach me your ways that I may know you. Uh, I, I had heard, uh, I don't remember when it was. I think it was at one of the international youth conventions when I was a teenager. And there was a lady there that was talking about how uh, she was in this, in, I can't remember what country it was, but it was some country that didn't have the Bible translated in their language. And they had worked and worked for years to be able to get the Bible translated in their language. And she said, finally, when that day came that the boat came down the river carrying those Bibles, the people were sitting there with anticipation, jumping over each other to try to get a hold of the Word of God. And I've heard of those those places in, in uh, you know some of the countries that are persecuted, the same things where they would get a hold of a box of, of Bibles and people would just be jumping over each other to get a hold of one. And I've heard of people that were in, in prison camps who had just shreds of uh, pages from the Bible and they would hold on to those things in the life that it gave them, that they would read that over and over and they would pass it around to each other to read it. The problem sometimes in America is how many Bibles do we have sitting on shelves that never get touched? I'm not saying it's wrong to have multiple Bibles. There's nothing wrong with that. My point is, when we get to the place where this is what Christ has revealed about Himself, we have the opportunity to look through the Word of God and see the mind of God revealed. And sometimes there's no value whatsoever placed on it. Now, examining those values where we have some countries where people are persecuted to the point where they face death daily and they value the Word of God that much. You'd imagine God would reveal His glory among those people. But why on earth would God reveal His glory among people who have access to... We have access to radio programs, television programs, which I wouldn't advise you to ever watch as Christians. Uh, the Christian... Television programs. Uh, but we have bookstores full of Christian books. We have countless Bibles. And yet today we, we don't know who Christ even is. All of those things we have available to us and every single person you encounter will tell you something different about who Christ is and His nature and His work among His people. My point in this is that it doesn't have to be that way. God's glory will be revealed among His people as we use what He has given us to know Him. As we look into it, as we study it, as we pick it apart, as we talk about it together, as we encourage one another with it. And I will talk about just a few things here. Matthew 7, Christ said, Therefore anyone who hears My words uh, and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the solid rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. Everyone who hears his words and puts them into practice, like the people who stand on the solid foundation. If we hear his words and we don't, we're like those that stand on uh, my mind went blank. <laughs> the foolish man who built his house on the sand. You can imagine, if you've ever been to the ocean and you stand, you stand right on the edge of the ocean, 
and you stand just right, right to maybe two or three feet inside the waves. And if you stand there for a few minutes, the waves come in and they go back out. And what do they do? You feel yourself start to sink a little bit, right? They come in, they go back out. What happens? You feel yourself sink a little bit. That happens over and over to the point where you're kind of standing off center, right? You're about to fall because the, the waves have come in and they have taken out so much of the substance beneath you. It's taken out the foundation and you understand that that's no different. That's exactly what Christ was talking about. He was saying, you have, you have access today to my word. You have access today to the things that I've revealed about myself. Are you going to put it in practice? Because if you do, you are standing on something that is sure. It's never going to change. It's never going to, going to pass away. Uh, I love in Hebrews chapter 11, it talks about how Abraham, when he left the land of his fathers, God had told him to leave the land of his fathers. It says that he went forward. He was living as a stranger in the land. It says he did that uh, because he had confidence in God. He was looking for a city with foundations whose architect was God. He was looking for a city with foundations whose architect was God. And considering, and all of the things today, so all of you people who know things about building, is you have to have a sure foundation, right? You never start building and investing money in a building if you don't have a sure foundation and take the time to do that correctly. But all of the foundations of man, all of the skyscrapers that are built on uh, uh, the, the most solid foundations that have been conceived in the mind of engineers, all of those things will eventually fall. Every one of them. But there is a city we are able to look forward to whose architect is God. And He has laid the foundation that will never change. It will never fail. From now to eternity, it will never fail. That's what we have access to if we place our trust in the things that God has revealed about Himself. Psalm 119, starting in verse 1, it says, Blessed are those whose ways are blameless, who walk according to the law of the Lord. Blessed are those who keep His statutes and seek Him with all their heart. They do no wrong, but follow His ways. You have laid down precepts that are to be fully obeyed. Oh, that my ways were steadfast in obeying Your decrees. And then verse 9, it says, for all you young people out there who are trying to understand how do I walk with God, this makes it very simple. It says, how can a young person stay on the path of purity? By living according to your word. Verse 14, I rejoice in following your statutes as one who rejoices in great riches. And as the church, we should teach our young people that scripture, right? Sometimes we make this way more complicated than it needs to be. How do I walk the path with God? By living according to His Word. Because the things that He has revealed about Himself brings life to your soul. If you want to go to college and not fall away, live according to God's Word. He just told you what you need to do. That's exactly how you keep your way pure. Psalm 119, starting in verse 105, he says, Your Word is a lamp for my feet and a light to my path. I have taken an oath and confirmed it. I will follow your righteous laws. Your statutes are my heritage forever. They are the joy of my heart. My heart is set on keeping your decrees to the very end. Verse 129, your statutes are wonderful, therefore I obey them. The unfolding of your word gives light. It gives understanding to the simple. I open my mouth and pant, longing for your commands. In Proverbs 4, starting in verse 7, it says this, The beginning of wisdom is this, Get wisdom, though it costs you all you have. Get understanding. Cherish her and she will exalt you. Embrace her and she will honor you. She will give you a garland to grace your head and present you with a glorious crown. 
Proverbs 3 says this, Blessed are those who find wisdom, those who gain understanding. She is more profitable than silver and yields better returns than gold. She is more precious than rubies. Nothing you desire can compare to her. She is more profitable than silver and yields better returns than gold. And especially in America, when we have access to, to so many things, even financially, we are better off than uh, almost anyone in this world. We have riches that most people in this world cannot imagine. I remember one time I was in the Dominican Republic and we, we, had, uh, we had taken some things that we were handing out to people, just uh, some like kitchen items, kitchen utensils, and, and just normal things like that that they don't have that uh, we were able to provide for them. And So we were walking around the small village handing those things out and we knocked on this one door. This kid, I have a picture of it. I'll try to get it up for you sometime. But uh, the kid opened the door and it was just this, Maybe eight by ten room was their house. It was a concrete floor. Uh, there was a string hanging on the left side of the wall that had, uh, that's where they hung their clothes. There was maybe three or four shirts and a couple pairs of pants hanging on that. They had a, a single bed that was a spring with a piece of foam an inch thick on it. That was what they slept on. And considering that this isn't even one of the poorest countries in the world, My point is that the riches that we have are beyond what most people in this world can even imagine. And yet not one bit of that, nothing that we have, not any any part of our house, not our cars, not, not the vacations that we go on, none of those things, none of those things even compare in value to the wisdom that has been revealed by God that is available to us. Again, how does a young man keep his way pure? By living according to his word. That can apply to anyone else. He says that about young people, but how do we as adults keep our way pure? By knowing who God is. By knowing what He has revealed about Himself. By knowing the wisdom that He has made available to us. You see, even it's not even enough just to know what the Word of God says. You understand there's a difference between knowledge and wisdom. We can pursue knowledge. We read our Bible. We can, we can attain knowledge. But wisdom comes as the Spirit of God illuminates the Word of God and helps us to understand how it applies to things. I heard somebody once say it this way. Knowledge is knowing how to use a gun. Wisdom is knowing when to use it. And that is absolutely true, right? I can know everything about a gun, how it functions, how to tear it apart, how to clean it. But you can be absolutely foolish and have no idea when to use it. In the same way, we as believers, we have to pursue not just a knowledge of the Word of God. Absolutely, we have to pursue a knowledge to know what it says, but we have to be in a place where the Spirit of God is working in our hearts, illuminating the things, shedding light on the things that we have taken in, that we are thinking about, that we are processing and and meditating on. And as the Spirit of God illuminates those things, that's when the glory of God works through us, because when we face situations The Spirit of God looks into your heart and He says, you remember when you read that? This is where that applies. Or you remember when when, uh, somebody says something offensive to you and you want to fly off the handle and tell them everything that you think. My biggest thing is I hate being on the phone with uh, any sort of company where you get on the phone and you tell them your information. Or you tell the computer usually the information, right? And then somebody gets on the phone, what do you have to do? Tell them the exact same information. Well, I can't help you, so I'm going to transfer you to this person. And then they ask you for the same information. There is nothing that makes me more impatient than that. Don't ask Jamie about it. 
but in those situations, in, in, in whatever situation like that, that, that makes you uh, well up with anger or impatience, and the point is when the Spirit of God illuminates the Word of God, you were in that situation, and He says, hey, remember when you read this? Remember who Christ is? Remember that the Word of God says that you should have the same mind as Christ who humbled Himself even to death on the cross. That's when the Spirit of God is at work in your life. And He applies the Word of God and gives you wisdom to understand how to use it. Get wisdom, though it costs you all you have. Get understanding. The question in that is, is there anyone anymore? Is there anyone that is willing to get wisdom, though it costs you all that you have? Is that even a desire? Is that something we even look for? Though it costs you all you have. I don't care if you never go on a vacation again. I don't care if you don't have a, a brand new truck. I don't care if you, you don't have the nicest house. That's what the Spirit is saying. I don't, none of those things matter. Though it costs everything that you have, get wisdom. Because in wisdom is life. Because God's glory is at work in you. If there's ever a moment, I love the, 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 the study Experiencing God by uh, Henry Blackaby. He talks about if there's ever a moment where God reveals something to you about Himself or about His Word, that is an encounter with God. That is you experiencing the living God because our hearts in, their, in, in my natural self, I am not capable of understanding the things of God. There's nothing in me that is capable of understanding God. So any moment where God looks in your heart and He convicts you, any, any moment where God looks in your heart and He reveals to you this is what the Word of God means, that is an encounter with the living God who created all things. And we should have, I would say at the very least, some desire as His church. We've got to have some desire to gain wisdom in the ways that we that we operate. Uh, so God's glory will manifest Himself among His people as they value His Word. So Moses desired to know the things of God, to, to know His ways. He said, Teach me your ways so that I may know you and continue to find favor with you. Not only does he want to know the character of God, who, he, who God is, to, that God would reveal His nature to Moses, but he wants to know God's intentions. He's in a place where God had said that he wasn't going to go with them, and God hadn't made his final decision yet. So Moses was saying, show me your intentions. Will you tell me where we're going to go? Just help me to know what's going to happen here so I can figure out how to lead these people. He wanted to know God through the things that God revealed about himself. He wanted to know God's nature, and then he wanted to know God's intentions. You see, he could have devised a strategy. He could have got a committee together to sit down and figure out what's the best way to go about this so we can accomplish the task. He could have done all of that. And they probably could have moved forward. But Moses was not content with just accomplishing a task out of human ingenuity. He was not content with human glory and strength in accomplishing a task. You see, a lot of times today we get to the place where you understand that, that just because something is a good Christian thing to do doesn't necessarily mean that's what God wants you to do. There are times where God has a specific thing for you to do. He wants you to work in His way. Just because we we do something as the church doesn't necessarily mean that that's God's uh, plan. 
That doesn't mean that's his purpose. That doesn't mean that's what he wants us to do. There are times where God says, even, look, as church, you've been doing this for the last 30 years, and there's been a lot of good things come out of that. But we're going to go a different direction. And there's times where he says, I don't want you to go a different direction. I want you to do what you've been doing. My point is that we can't just think of uh, uh, the intentions or or the, the direction of the church cannot come out of clever minds devising plans. It comes from God revealing His glory and His intentions for His people. Henry Blackaby also in that Experience in God study talks about uh, how our prayer should be that God would reveal where He is working and how we meet Him there. Not that He talks about how we should never be at the place where we come up with plans and then ask God to bless them. But my desire first should be to ask God, where are you working because I have experienced over the years in ministry a lot of times where he is working isn't where I would have thought he would have worked. I can tell you when I left my first youth group, uh, there were kids that talked to me about things that I had said uh, a, long be- a long time before that day, and I never one time ever thought they would have gotten that out of it. Sometimes it's the last people that you would expect are the people that get something out of what you were doing. God's intentions are drastically different a lot of times than our intentions. But if we are able to align ourselves with God's intentions, we can be sure that that will never fail. Isaiah 55 says this in verse 8, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your ways. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. As the rain and snow come down from heaven, do not turn and do not return to it without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish, so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater. So is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. You see, in this moment, he's, God's talking about uh, pardoning his people in that moment. That's the context of this passage. But the, cr- the truth contained here can be applied to the very nature of God and himself, his purposes, intentions, his thoughts and in, in his wisdom are infinitely higher than ours. He says, "The word that goes out will not return to me empty, but will return, will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it." He says that his purposes will be accomplished. God's purposes will, will be accomplished. God's purposes will be accomplished with us or without us. We can find out where He is working. We can meet Him in that. Or we can devise our own plans and we can probably do some things that are good Christian things. That doesn't mean that we're accomplishing the things of God. I don't know about you all, but I have observed over my lifetime when I am the one making the decisions in myself, I do a pretty good job of messing things up. Maybe I'm the only one, but I doubt it. See, we have human desires, things we want to accomplish. We have human natural sympathies that we offer to certain things for certain people. And while that doesn't necessarily mean That's not necessarily a bad thing. It doesn't necessarily 
mean either that we are accomplishing the purposes of God. Oswald Chambers said this. He said, those who follow Christ should deliberately substitute God's interest in others for our natural sympathy for natural sympathy with them. Those who follow Christ should deliberately substitute God's interest in others for our natural sympathy with them. That means that when I look on somebody, number one, I am motivated by the love of God. In all things, every person I encounter, I am motivated by the love of God. And two, I want to see God's interest, His intentions fulfilled with that person and figure out how do I align with God's interests in this person. Not my sympathies with that person because our sympathies can lead us astray. Let me give you an example. Remember a time someone was telling me about it. Um, A ministry colleague was telling me about it. Somebody they had they had gone to the altar. Somebody had come to the altar. They went with them, and uh, they were expressing how they felt God speaking to them that day, and and they felt like God was wanting to do something in them. They were feeling a little convicted about where they were at, and and the responsibility they they had. They felt like they weren't living up to it. Well, sure enough, somebody else comes up to the altar and. They start hearing this and they start saying, no, 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 you're, you're, you're doing fine. You're doing well. You're doing okay. Starts making excuses for all the things, all the reasons why it's difficult and the things that the person was dealing with, why it's understandable that they've struggled, but you're doing okay. Listen, while, while we might have sympathy and compassion on a person who is hurting, We have to understand the conviction of God and never ever step in the way of that because you are robbing that person of what God wants to make them to be. That is a place where our natural emotions and sympathies can get in the way of what God wants to do. You can't always, we can't always just tell somebody you're okay. There's nothing wrong with saying, you know what? It is a loving thing. It is an extension of mercy that God would speak into your heart and convict you right now. That's not an unloving thing to tell somebody. You understand that? That's When God looks in your heart and He sees this area and He says, look, you're not doing so well here. I want you to change this. That is an extension of God's mercy. If it wasn't, He would never say anything. He would just leave us to our own devices, right? To do our own thing. You understand that's what the punishment of God is. Everybody, a lot of times people think that God is just sitting up in heaven waiting to drop the hammer when you mess up. That's not what He does at all. The punishment of God is letting you do your own thing. If that's what you want, go ahead. You're going to make a mess of your life. But go ahead. That's why it is an extension of His mercy to look on the human heart, which He should want nothing to do with, but to look on the human heart and say, look, if you change this, if you allow My Spirit to be at work within you, if you allow My interest in you to move forward, if you resign yourself to this, I will make you to be something that you never could have been on your own. I will take you to places that you never could have been on your own. And my point is, not just in human relations, but sometimes, even, even in worship, sometimes our emotions get in the way. I, I think I said before one of the times I was here that I can't tell you how many times I have heard people say, I didn't get anything out of worship today. I didn't feel anything today. And the first question for them should be, did you prepare your heart for worship? 
Because worship isn't about what I receive, but what I offer. And as I offer something to God, then it is by His mercy and grace that He would offer something back. And we receive out of the graciousness of a God who would receive our worship and then bless His people. It's a natural thing that the heart of man is changed as he encounters God. You can't be in the presence of God and not have something revealed about yourself. And my point in all of this today, the worship team is going to come up as we close. My point in all of this today is that the church has to be, as Moses said to God, do not send us up from here if you will not go with us. What else will distinguish us aside from your presence? That should be our desire in all things as individuals and as individuals who compose this body here. Forget about every other church in this moment. We're not pushing this off on other people. Us in this room and the people that identify with this congregation, are we going to be distinguished by God as we go out into the world? And to do that, we have to understand what He has revealed about Himself through His Word. And we have to align ourselves then with His intentions not our own. We have to pursue His intentions, allow Him to be the one to work. And maybe you're here in these moments today and you've never really had a concern to know God in that way. You've been okay with just settling for your best opinion about who God is. Maybe that's where you're at today. There is no shame in coming to an altar to pray about those things. Maybe you're here today and you're just simply joyful that God has revealed Himself to you. There's nothing wrong with coming to an altar to say, thank you, God, that you have looked at my human heart and you have revealed yourself to me. You understand that we will talk about this more at some point, that an altar is not necessarily, it's not a place of condemnation. It is a place of receiving the mercy of God. Because number one, if God convicts you as a sinner, is an extension of His mercy again. And we come to make a public uh, declaration and we come to kneel before God and declare that I desire to receive your mercy and change my life that it would conform to your, your purposes. And in the same way, the altar is simply a place of joy because God has extended His mercy to me and I desire to be thankful for that and come and lay myself before Him again as a sacrifice and today say, God, I am so thankful that you have, I have received Your mercy, that You have been at work in my life, and I will lay myself before You today and tomorrow in the next day. So if, you have, if, if, if there is anything today that God is saying to you, I don't care whether it's feeling conviction, I don't care if it's joy, whatever it is, Use the altars to pray about that. Use your seats to pray about that. I'm just saying in this moment, don't miss what God wants to do in you. Don't miss thankfulness. Don't miss conviction. Don't miss joy. Don't miss even pain. All of those things that we can confess before God that we are dealing with because He wants to extend His mercy to you and meet every one of those situations. That's what He wants to do today. You can do that at the altar. You can do that at your seat. I don't care where you do it. Just don't miss it today because God wants to do something and speak to you and extend His mercy to you today. God, we just thank You again today for Your living Word that searches our hearts, that reveals our hearts, Your Spirit that illuminates Your Word, Your Spirit that makes Your Word living and active.
And Father, we're so thankful for the mercy that has come from Your throne that has revealed our hearts and provided a way for us to be transformed. And Father, in that, we pray that You would help us to align ourselves with Your intentions, that our sympathies, our emotions would be in line with Yours. And Father, most of all, that we would be a people who is distinguished clearly by Your presence alone, not by our own strength, not by our own merit, not by our own uh, intellect, not by our skill in organizing things, but Father, Your power would be manifest among us so that Your glory would bring uh, the substance to the things that we confess as believers. Father, we love you today. We glorify you. It's your name we pray. Amen.